Hello and welcome to Set Podcast to Stun, the podcast where we explore, explain, and enjoy the Star Trek franchise. I'm Clint to the Q, joined by Captain Corey and Chancellor Emily. Kabla. How are you guys doing? Uh, my girlfriend just gave me a rotten avocado to eat right before we started recording, and it tastes really gross. That's just like an apple, just bite right into it. <laughs> oh, no joke, no joke. I uh, so I'm a I'm a teacher, and last week this little girl came up to me because she was eating an apple and she held it up. She'd eaten about half of it, and the entire middle was just like brown and black. And there was a, a worm in there. And I, I thought that was oh, like something that you only saw in like uh, cartoons. But it was only half a worm. Wow. Oh, no. No. That avocado was real bad, though. <laughs> Holy moly. Are you sure um, that's really your girlfriend? Or could it be an evil duplicate who's trying to sabotage you? Oh, I hadn't thought about that second one. But I guess that's possible. Yeah. You gotta got to sleep with one eye open there, Corey. If I was going to have one rotten fruit, it would not be an avocado. That one does not. I think a banana is the way you want to go. Just mix some salsa in with it and you'll be good. What are we talking about? All right. So uh, this week. We are all distracted. Yeah. We're reviewing uh, The Enemy Within. In this episode, a transporter accident creates an evil duplicate of Kirk. Can Spock and Scotty fix the transporter and put Kirk back together before Sulu freezes to death on the planet below? Can evil Kirk keep his hands to himself? Is there anything cuter than a dog wearing an alien costume? Well, it's actually, it's, I think it's supposed to be two dogs in an alien costume, and no. Yes to all your other questions, but no to that one. <laughs> yeah, it's a firm no. It's a great way to start an episode, right? Because that's the first we, thing we see is that kind of dog in that costume with like the, the horn and the little antennas and stuff. It's got like a unicorn horn. It has these tiny antennas, like two radio antennas sticking out of its head. And then it's sort of like a lion costume, like a big shaggy mm -hmm. mane. And it has like an iguana tail. There is so much <laughs> happening. And there's definitely a real dog inside of it who's just like hanging out in Sulu's arms like, what's going on? It's adorable. There's also they also have no legs. They're just like wrapped up in this little burrito. So yeah. <laughs> in every scene, one of the actors has to be holding them, and it just makes you wonder how this how this species survived on this frozen ice planet. How they you know ambulate. <laughs> they just kind of like roll around in their big fluffy coat. They just stay warm like that. Once I saw that it had the little tiny skinny antennas, it made me think it was like a giant land slug or like a sea anemone of the land and a dog face. While we're talking about the dogs, uh, I just wanted to mention, so it is like so obvious that it's just a dog wearing a Halloween costume. And I would, I would feel like even in the 60s, people were like, that's a fucking dog. They didn't even try on that one. <laughs> Um, but that thing's custom made. It's not a co Halloween costume. But the uh, the I was I, I watched the show on subtitles, and even the subtitles, like the dog barks, and in the subtitles, it's like dog barks. <laughs> so, they call it the creature too. Like obviously, it's some sort of dog creature, but they just call it the animal the whole time. Like it's this absolutely foreign thing. No dogs have gone extinct on Earth by this time so they have no clue what it looks like they're just like some weird thing well this episode did make me realize that there really is not a lot of animal life in star trek like any of the ones i've seen in any of the flavors like they go to all these planets and they're always shocked that there's humanoids but that's all they find like humanoids and plants like there are never ever animals data has a cat mm -hmm. i guess but he seems yeah. like an outlier do you remember when that Targ shows up in Next Generation and it's like a warthog with like the same costume? Oh, yeah. They do yeah. talk about Targs a little bit. And mm -hmm. Data's cat, whose name is Spot. Archer had poth poth Pothos. Wait, that's a type of plant. Yeah. What was Archer's dog's name? No, it was, <laughs> it was Porthos. <laughs> it has to be so much like extra work, right? To have like an animal. Yeah. Because like one yet, like what's the, you have to train, the animal has to be trained. And then you have to do something weird to it to make it look like an alien. So, yeah, yeah I can understand. And money, but, like, they don't even... Yeah, I mean, I can understand, too. But, like, they don't even have dialogue of it of, like, 
we're going to this planet uh, where the humanoids eat blah 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 or like there's these types of wild animals it's just not a concern of this universe which had never I'd never thought of until this episode they do throw out things like a Darkalian whale shark or an Andorian rat beetle do we? I don't. I don't. I think you're making that up. Do we know why they're on the the planet? Like when it's when it's because it just opens with one of them like holding the dog. They're within an away party. They're just checking out this planet. Do we know why they're down there? I think it's just like a survey. I don't know. It's like I think they might colonize it or something. I'm not sure. Oh yeah, because that one guy gets like ore all over himself when he's like mm-hmm. digging. That was some pretty good makeup on that. Like when he got cut, because usually they just like throw some like red marker on people. But, like, there was actually <laughs> liquid on his hands, which was nice. I thought the same thing is that, oh, that really looks like blood. But then later when Evil Kirk, spoiler alert, beat someone up, I thought it was lipstick on his hand. Like, pink lipstick. <laughs> it was like, ooh. Can't, can't be consistent with the blood makeup, I guess. Uh, can I set up the conflict really quick here? And then we can kind of go in whatever direction you want. But, but yeah, but so it, that Corey. they're on the away mission and then that person falls um, and gets all bloody. And Kirk is like, oh, you better go back up to the ship. So he transports back up to the ship. Uh, but because he fell, he had all like this weird yellow ore all over his shirt that screws up the mm-hmm. transporter. Kirk comes up next just a couple minutes later and something goes weird. And Scotty is at the uh, the transporter and something goes weird when Kirk comes up and he's all like weak. He's like, oh, I feel all faint. And then Kirk leaves the transporter and, and Scotty like escorts him to his room and then a couple minutes later, an evil Kirk appears, and we find out that his personality's been split in half, a good side and a negative side. Uh, I just wanted to ask really quick, did you ever find it weird where, like, sometimes someone with, like, a high rank on the ship would be doing a menial task? Like, do you really think that the head engineer, Scotty, would be running the transporter bay when he was? Because that's, like, some pretty low uh, priority tasks. I was thinking that, too. I think it's just because they don't have a lot of cast members and like Scotty's like the tech one. So like whenever there's a tech problem, he has to be involved with it. But I do agree with you that Scotty has more important things to do than than be a transporter chief. Oh, that drove me nuts on DS9. They'd be like, we're going to this like skirmish. We're going to go fight some Cardassians. And I'm like, why is Bashir going with you? Like, this is the ship's doctor. There's no reason for him to be here or like. It just made no sense why anyone was ever doing anything. <laughs> That's why I like in TNG, it's like Riker gets to pick, like, just, like, bark out five names really fast. And it's almost like the cool club. Be like, yeah. the Forge, <laughs> Worf, you're with me. Well, and too in TNG, of course, Miles is the transporter chief. And that frees up Droidy LaForge to be chief engineer. But you never see LaForge jump in the transporter room, right? And do stuff. That's true. Also... I want to say if Miles O'Brien was ahead uh, of the transporters in this episode, we would have not had this problem. He would have fixed that problem. There would have been no evil duplicate. I strongly disagree. There would have been no like, oh, this, wow, it it almost killed the first person that came up. Oh, it's the (laughs) captain next? Eh, It's probably fine. Let's bring up the captain now. Well, this is another question. Oh, never mind. I just answered my own question. What was your question? I was going to be like, wait, why wasn't there an evil one of the first guy? And then I was like, oh, because he had the shit on his clothes that made it so that there was an evil one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's the one who screwed it up and he didn't wipe his ass and the captain has to pay. I just uh, I just watched the episode of Bob's Burgers where they all get uh, pinworms. So (laughs) this is a real theme of today of people not wiping their ass and having outsized consequences. (laughs) So is Kirk wearing makeup when he does he it feels like he's wearing eyeliner. It might uh, just be because he's like more in shadows, but it's a good look for him. My exact note about evil Kirk is that he looks like a drag queen. A sweaty drag queen. Yeah, like the first shot of him is all like lit from below and he looks like he's got like glitter mm. on his cheekbones and he's got these like his lips are all big and pillowy and like his cupid bow is all outlined and yes, he absolutely has eyeliner. And then he just has these, like, super dramatic facial expressions, which I love. But yeah, he looks like a drag queen without a wig. Hi, Felix. My uh, targ is going crazy over here. Yeah, it sounds he's, like it. Time to time to release him into the wild. He's just scooting all over the floor, shoving his 
horn onto stuff with his iguana tail slapping around. Uh, I know that, especially like men wearing any kind of makeup, I don't know how much of a stretch this is, but like there's like some Orientalism in that because, you know, the West was a lot more like Spartan and, you know, Mm. men are soldiers and they wear tunics. And then in the East, it's a lot more about like luxury and it wasn't seen as like effeminate, like in Egypt or Mesopotamia to wear eyeliner or anything like that. But it has continued almost being like this devious, sneaky sort of trope where putting on the eyeliner or whatever, like kind of makes you more bad looking as a male. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not, it's not masculine and it's like evil for men to wear. Eyeliner. Yeah, I like the way you described it as it does feel very like oriental and sneaky in that way. I thought this was an interesting, well, not an interesting premise, but like it's an interesting sci-fi premise. Cause this feels more like a fantasy premise where like someone gets split by some magic doohickey and there's an evil one and there's a good one. So it's interesting to see this in a science fiction setting. I was wondering, like, this is such a trope, like the good good twin and the evil twin. I was wondering if this is, like, the first time that we see this. I mean, like, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde? sitcoms. Well, I mean, I guess there's that, but, like, I was thinking, like, in, like, mainstream television. Like, Friends had Phoebe and Ursula and all of that, but... I don't, I don't know. I don't, I mean, maybe there are others. I mean, as seen as this is like the first like science fiction drama that we really see on, on primetime television, it's probably, I mean, pretty accurate to say this was like one of the first times this, this concept has appeared on the television. earlier ones, yeah. I can't believe mm. that I didn't think of Dr. Jekyll and Hyde until you mentioned it, Corey. I love that story. It's a metaphor for gayness, by the way. Is it? <laughs> I read it in a college undergrad class and we were talking about how there's a lot of like, it's once we started breaking down, I was like, Oh my God, I don't know how this is about anything else. Like um, there are no women, even they make like maybe one or two references to the maid, but otherwise there's like no women. It's all men. There's like some really weird way that Hyde is described that makes him feel very sexual i can't remember what it is and robert louis stevenson lived this like very bohemian lifestyle and my teacher was like he absolutely would have like known about gay men and stuff and then Mm. the best part was she's like and i mean hyde always comes through the back door and we all just started like scream laughing and we were like no it didn't mean that in the 1800s and she was like it absolutely did (laughs) i don't get it uh i know that he wrote the book in like less than a month and it's, it's always on the list of really? books that did not take a long time uh, for the author to write and were very successful. Uh, we're getting really off topic here, but I know what's like the ultraviolence one, the Clockwork Orange, that was like written in a very short amount of time as well. As well are mm-hmm. the Star Trek episodes. <laughs> uh, they're written in general, generally not that much time at all. And you can tell on some of them. I wanted to ask you guys like in general, before we start talking about this further, like how did you guys because last week was a pretty good episode before that it's been really just stinkers how did you guys feel about this one where does that lie i mean i thought this one was okay yeah i didn't think it was as good as last week's but it's definitely been better than the ones we've looked at so far it Mm -hmm. it has this issue that i think i bump into with books more where it has an interesting premise but then it doesn't really travel very far from that starting point Mm -hmm. i realized because i i agree like i I thought it was cool and it was it was fun and it was interesting and it kept my attention but but i realized how much i missed kirk when he wasn't himself because like in every episode we've seen he has held the show together like he is the glue to this show and it wasn't really like that in like TNG because you could have an episode without Picard and the other characters were strong enough to, you know, carry the show. But because Kirk was like all out of sorts because his personality mm. was split in half, like you, you really missed the guy. Yeah, he well, it was interesting, too. I, I realized partly through that, like one of the things I think we've all liked about Kirk is he's very like funny and roguish and good Kirk and evil Kirk had both of them had zero sense of humor. And then at the end, mm-hmm. when they get reintegrated, spoiler alert, he like makes some joke to Spock. And I was like, oh, thank God. Uh, yeah, I have the same realization you did, Corey. Yeah, I think I think we are all in agreement where these these episodes really need a B-plot. And we came close to getting a B-plot on this yeah, one. Yeah, because where... uh, you can explain. I don't need to interrupt you. I mean, I like to, but I don't need to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
uh, where Sulu was on the planet and they were kind of just trying to survive. So I think if this was a more modern show, you know, the A plot would be up up above and them dealing with that. The B plot would be them below. And you still see them kind of dealing with the cold, but it's only like a couple minutes at a time where I think that would be more fleshed out in a more more modern episode. Yeah. Oh my God, the way they deal with the cold was so annoying to me. They they did nothing. <laughs> they did no preparation at all. They just wrapped themselves in blankets. Oh no, are you kidding? I actually made a note of how much I love that they shoot some rocks with like a phaser and then they huddle around them and they get all warm. I. It was so cheesy and humorous. I love that part. <laughs> you think, though, they'd be able to survive for, like, a night with, like, some phaser rocks and that sort of thing. Yeah, no shit. What, they build a, a rudimentary, like, yurt out of the cloth and blankets that they have because they were gigantic. And then they, like, pile rocks all around and then they just, like, keep themselves all warm. As a former Weebolo, it was it was very annoying to watch. <laughs> Well, and so let's talk about the elephant in the room. I don't know if you guys were thinking about this, but I'm like, why don't you just send down the shuttle? Uh, oh, I thought you were talking about the rape scene. <laughs> I thought so. I thought that's no. what you were talking about too. Wait, what? Why? Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, Clint, I don't know why I really didn't think about a shuttle, but I did have a moment of like, isn't there another way to get them up? Yeah. But yeah, Evil Kirk tries to rape our podcast. Uh, favorite janice yeah and you stay away from janice evil kirk we love her yeah i like it's a long scene that we get to watch it's super uncomfortable god it's so very uncomfortable especially when he's like kissing her like open mouth kissing her like the forceful like that, that, that's that long the aggressive just, like open mouth kiss that men in the 40s and 50s did <laughs> where they just like turn My... their head and then just just slam their face into the girl's face which I guess it's supposed to be uncomfortable scene. Yeah, I. So I don't I know. I appreciated that they made that uncomfortable because you're right. It looks like mm. romance scenes from older movies, and so I, like it. It was not. There's no way you could misconstrue that as anything other than the audience should be very uncomfortable right now. I actually thought like, oh wow, they're not making this like, oh, Kirk's being sleazy. They're like, no, he's being an attacker and she's really not liking this like i actually really appreciate that and find that kind of ahead of its time but the thing that really bothered me about this as a major plot point and it was is like afterwards they have all this huge dialogue and bone says this and it's like this huge huge talking point between like spock and kirk and bones that like your evil side and your good side need to be put together and like Kirk can't, good Kirk cannot lead the ship without evil Kirk. And they're like, there's even this line of like, can half a man live? And it ends up like, I got the metaphor already, but they're like very explicit and like strong emphasis. And the way they outline this makes it be like, yeah, men just want to rape all the time. And that's totally fine because otherwise they wouldn't do good stuff either. And that, like that thread was so stupid and terrible. Like, I, also, as men, you should be super offended that Star Trek is like, oh, hey, you've got to be a little rapey to be a great dude. Like, what the fuck? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And and I, I didn't I didn't like that just like narratively that they were like, there's a positive side and a negative side. You're the positive side and he's the negative side running around because like, why would you need your negative side at all? Like, why would you, I, I, that didn't make any sense. Like, I would have almost preferred that they were like, this is your animal side and this is your, like, civilized side or, or whatever. But like, I no, but I, I totally agree with you. There's like, why are we trying to reunite these two? We've seen no indication that even the negative bad Kirk can, like, be an effective leader. Because that was the whole plot, right? Like, they needed to reintegrate yeah. because Kirk was so, like, timid now and he couldn't make decisions because he was missing his mm -hmm. dark uh rapey side right well it's not like i mean let's not reduce it all to just rapiness but i mean i don't think the show is saying that you have to be like a rapist a rapist to be a good leader but his darker side is definitely like more aggressive but like he wasn't a good leader at all either just because he was just so wrapped up in his own i guess you know hungers and ambitions and I mean, it's definitely something that's bad. But I, I mean, so you guys don't like the message that there's a little bit of of kind of duality in in leadership or being a person, you know, that you need both kind of like 
light and darkness? I, is that what you guys I are saying? It or? kind of is like the issue that we've had with all of the episodes, actually, is that they have this interesting starting point, and if they had left it ambiguous and just had, like, bad Kirk running to the kitchen and, like, eating a bunch of food and people are like, hey, Kirk, we need you to make this important decision. And he's like, no, I'm going to go do something crazy. And, like, if they had shown animal Kirk doing all of these, giving into his base impulses other than rape and beating some guy up so he doesn't get in trouble, and then they had shown gentle Kirk, like, being... I don't know. There was one part where he was like cradling the dog accord and I was like, oh, this is so cute. I think if they, instead of trying to make it very heavy handed and very like explicit, hey, you need your bad side. If they had had it be more open and ambiguous, it, it would have been more interesting. Um, but they, they try to like really like boil it down into this didactic message. The one with the eyes where he's like, what a good is a god who still has human foibles. You're not perfect or whatever he said. It was like, yeah, we got it. We got that metaphor. You don't need to spell it out for us. Mm -hmm. I mean, maybe it was just a little bit reductive in, in the good and evil. That's why I said, too, it's kind of a weird topic for a sci-fi one. In like a magic or fantasy setting, you could be like, oh, these two people are good and evil. And you're not trying to like parse because it's like, oh, it's magic. You know, it just solved it or it just knew what's good and what's evil. But to like send him through the transporter, you're like, man, why does it like separate it like this? But or, the or thing is, like is that? they never, they, so, they didn't say good and evil. They said positive and negative and whatever that means. Your positive attributes are in one person and your negative attributes are in another person. You know, sexuality is not a negative thing, but all if all of your negative mm -hmm. sexual emotions are in this person, then that person will do bad things. But it just wasn't framed that, like, that's what they said, but it wasn't framed that way. It was like, he has half of your personality and you have the other half. He has all, like, the bad things and you have all the good things. Mm -hmm. Well, Spock, Spock did have one line where he said something about, like, you split into two traits, what Earth people would call good and evil. But mm -hmm. he kind of says it as, like, silly. Like, the idea of good and evil is silly. But then they reduce it. Yeah, and so maybe reductive is a good word, Clint, because then they reduce it down to that positive and negative whereas yeah maybe if they had just been like you've split into like an animal like a passive and an aggressive side or something but the mm -hmm. the good and evil was really weird i was thinking about it like um when you were talking clint data has lore he has like mm -hmm. a quote-unquote evil twin but like data mm -hmm. and lore are obviously like two different forms of knowledge and Data and Lore, the characters, both have, like, pros and cons. So the tension is that you you don't want to eliminate either of them, really. Like, Lore is not really mm -hmm. hateful. Even when he shows up and he's being a villain, he's still, like, a very enjoyable character. You don't want him to die. And that's very interesting. Whereas, like, I think if they had done something more like that with this episode of, of letting it be ambiguous and letting it be kind of open-ended instead of and and maybe it's just like clumsily executed like that's why i think maybe they have that good mm -hmm. idea but yeah like this idea of kirk negative kirk is aggressive and maybe we see scenes where that's really good and then passive kirk is really passive and we see scenes where that's good and bad and like that is the tension but here yeah Corey, i'm kind of with you where i was kind of like I don't really care about either of these Kirks. Yeah, it would have been cool to, if, like, <laughs> they had to work together to solve the transporter problem, right? Like, they both had to do something mm -hmm. to, like, consolidate those two personality traits into making one good decision. Or even just if, like, aggressive Kirk was like, why am I so mad all the time? I hate this. What's wrong with me? Or, like, you know, he has, like, a couple scenes where he really screams. But if he had turned that screaming against himself of, why can't I think calmly about this? And... That would have been really interesting. Instead, it feels like it's simplified the character of Kirk even more. Uh, I wanted to talk about mm. telling the difference between the two because I, <laughs> <laughs> my when I first started watching this episode and I knew what the plot was going to be, my first thought was, okay, good Kirk, go put on a fucking red shirt like right now or a purple shirt or something because I know what's going to happen at the end of this episode. Uh, but they they basically always wear the same shirt. But the way that you tell them apart is because when bad kirk is doing his rape scene um the what's her name janet janice janice claws his cheek and puts like a bunch of scratch marks in his cheek and a little bit later he covers it up with some foundation i guess and i don't use that, that like makeup or anything but i was wondering how effective that would be do you guys know 
No, not that effective, which again just gives theory that Negative Kirk is a drag queen because they can cover up eyebrows. So, I mean, <laughs> oh, we don't want to though, we don't want to say that drag queens are evil. No, right? drag queens are awesome, which is again why I yeah. think maybe, maybe the ship just totally misunderstood it and Kirk just needed a sequin skirt and he would have chilled out. So, the B plot, well, we don't get one, but the, the second act is evil Kirk. Kirk walking around the corridors pretty much and like terrorizing people and then they're debating about what to do with this and then Kirk's all tinted like that's that's pretty much the middle of this I just want to interject here I just remember too like the scene where Kirk makes this announcement that like there's a imposter of me and uh watch out for him and you can tell him that he has scratches on his face and then like two seconds later this guy runs into him in the hallway and he's like, oh, can I see your phaser? And the guy's like, oh, yeah, sure. I mean, you can't be the evil one. And then he like beats him up and then it's just like, man, how dumb are you? That's how good his makeup was. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. Keep going. Oh, oh, no. I was just going to say that like while this is going on, our tiny little B plot that we have is that uh, Sulu and two or three other guys are stuck down on the planet's surface. So every now and then it'll cut to them. Um, and they're like imploring good Kurt to help, but he's just so like, he, he just can't make any decisions. And I, and I do like the way that Shatner mm-hmm. played that. He was just like so just unsure of himself and just kind of stumbling over his own words. Um, but I did like the laugh factory that was Sulu during all of those calls. Like every single one had a joke in it. And Kirk's probably like, dude, just shut the fuck up. Like I've had the worst day right now. Sulu was killing it. At at one point I specifically took a note of this because I loved it so much. He was like, yeah, the trans, like we're working on the transporter and he's like, it's getting pretty cold down here. Do you think you could find a long rope and lower down some coffee? And like, yeah, passive Kirk doesn't even get that. It's a joke. And he's like, we'll try. And then um, Sulu comes back and goes, oh, rice wine will do if you're all out of coffee. And I was like, Sulu is a delight. <laughs> and then he's like, the room service here is pretty bad. But I just want to stress again, these are each each discrete individual scenes that are spaced out by 10 minutes. Each one has just a little joke that he's mm-hmm. telling. That's great. <laughs> Get us out of here before ski season opens up. That yeah. was a great one, too. <laughs> and I liked... I like that, like, every single time it goes back to them, they, they just give an update of how cold it is. They're like, it's <laughs> minus 20, and then the next scene, it's minus 50. It gets down to, like, minus 70, and, like, Sulu can barely talk. But I would have loved it if it had kept going, where they're just like, it's minus 110, you guys better hurry up, or we're gonna die. Like, I think I think the minus 70 was what did it for you guys. But they, I think everybody lived at the end. Yeah, although I kept being like, you know, at about... 15 below your spit is gonna freeze before it hits the ground so like at 40 below i'm like they're dead i if they're not in a house they're dead <laughs> okay yeah you'd think they'd find a cave and just kind of heat up a cave or something like that yeah or start a fire or something mm-hmm. well they i don't think there's any wood or anything down there so you just had to phase your rocks Right, sure. I mean, we've all been camping and needed to phaser some rocks to stay warm. I liked it too where I guess uh, Spock is like a survival expert because he's like, oh, survival protocols is like, just as your training dictates. Yep, wrap a flag around yourself and just stand out in an open field. (laughs) Speaking of Spock, Spock admits in this episode that he's half human, which I think is the first time this has happened. Like earlier he said, one of my ancestors, Mm -hmm. which led me to have this like existential spiral of like is this considered a shameful thing in the star trek universe there's a lot of bits with Worf where he's talking about his own son and he's like he's part human he sucks is this like a dirty family secret i mean you get a lot of guff it seems like for being you know of mixed blood in star trek because like spock is constantly being made fun of but i think it's just for being being vulcan and then people will mention it when they're drunk and trying to hit on you that you're both a human and a Vulcan. How crazy is it that humans and Vulcans can make babies together, though? Donkeys and horses can't even do it. I mean, they can, but it makes, like, a shitty mule, which can't do anything. Yeah, But the mule can't make children, so maybe Spock is uh, unable to have his own children. In Enterprise, they talk about how it's impossible for humans and Vulcans to 
have children together. And then I think Phlox makes it work. So there are some difficulties. It's the same way with like humans and Klingons. I know they're supposed to have like difficulties mating, but I guess, you know, like Betazoids and humans, that's fine. And no one ever gives Troy shit for being a human and uh, a Bajoran, or not Bajoran. Um, yeah, and also even weirder, there is a character in DS9 that's half Bajoran and half Cardassian, and that seems wildly improbable because the Bajorans are basically people with wrinkly noses, but the Cardassians are giant lizards. Yeah, with spoon heads, mm-hmm. with spoons on their foreheads. Uh, which makes me wonder for the first time, and I hate my own brain, if Cardassians have cloacas. Oh, they do like a cloaca kiss? Yeah, I mean... Well, we'll get to that when we uh, start our DS9 review. (laughs) (laughs) I just watched a TNG episode where Riker has like a little fling with an alien who comes from a planet that doesn't have gender. Um, Oh, yeah. And there were a a lot of discussions among me and James about cloacas. It's really inappropriate. Uh, But yeah, I just, I thought it was interesting. Spock did get this weird, like, shame feeling that was super interesting to me. Like, it reminds me of white slavers who would rape their slaves and their slaves. Sometimes you would just have slaves that looked white. And you're like, hmm, I wonder, wonder what that's about. And everybody would know and it would be kind of this dirty secret. I kind of got this vibe from Spock. Like, he was disclosing this thing. He's like, listen. It's super embarrassing. Um, but yeah, I just, I thought it was really, I was like, why is this so shameful? You do get those little tidbits from Spock. And I don't think, I don't think they try to play it up as it's something bad, but about his kind of warring sides, you know, yeah. about how he has his human side and his Vulcan side. One thing I would think is really interesting. I forget. I think it's from Enterprise, but one Vulcan said that like humans are lucky that they're able to have these emotions and you know, express their emotions without having it destroy them. Where the lore is, is that Vulcan emotions are like extremely volatile. And if they let their emotions rule them, they'd just be like murdering each other and just like really just pure chaos. And so that's why Vulcans needed to embrace logic is because their own natural emotions are too volatile. And so they have to like keep it under wraps or else they're just going to like tear themselves apart. Yeah, there have been a couple bits in TNG, I think, where they talk about it's not that Vulcans don't feel emotions, but that they train themselves to be this way. Like, they're not born this way. Um, But it seems like a societal norm. There's a great um, episode in Voyager where you get some flashbacks of Tuvok. And as, like, a teenager, he fell in love with an alien um, who was, like, going to his school um, it was like an ambassador's kid or something like that. But he fell like madly in love with her and he decided to like reject the logic. And it was so bad that he got kicked out by his father and then he had to go train with the Vulcan master. Hmm. And so the Vulcan master, you know, teaches him about logic and that sort of thing. So through the episodes, you get these little tidbits of him learning logic. So at the beginning of the episode, he's very rebellious and emotional. The end of the episode, he's a good Vulcan boy who's learned logic and is very reserved and stuff like that. So that's a great uh, view into the Vulcan psyche, that episode. Well, and that also goes back to like our problem with this episode where... The idea of someone falling in love and rejecting logic and being rebellious and being a shit, like, that is a normal human teenager. And so to have him, like, go through this training and, you know, the audience is, like, it's ambiguous. Is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? It's sort of dictated by customs. Like, what do we really feel about that? Like, that is where they take the premise and do interesting things with it and trust that the audience is smart enough to think about it themselves. And here Mm -hmm. they kind of, like you said, reduced it too much. If they had sort of left it open like that, that could have been, I think, a more richer episode. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. And I think too, uh, this episode, what kind of a big moral of this episode too, is how you need to kind of use your intelligence to really curb your, your weaknesses, right? On both sides. Yeah. You know, good Kirk had to kind of think to kind of muster up his courage at some points. And then when evil Kirk was really scared and he's like not able to like function as well uh, physiologically. And so like when he kind of uses his mind to like overcome his emotions, he does he does better as well. And they get put together. I Like 
this is also, I think, Corey, what you talk about a lot, where, like, the middle part sags. There's a lot of dialogue of, like, well, I think if we put them in the transporter, it'll work. What should we do? What should we do? And I'm like, who gives a shit? Just do it. We don't need this back and forth between, like, Spock and Bones and Good Kirk and Evil Kirk. And then they finally do it, and Good Kirk and Evil Kirk are, like, hugging each other. <laughs> I was like, this is so sweet. <laughs> it's it's so they wouldn't have both actors looking at the camera. Yeah, I mean, it is obviously because of that, but also I was just like, this is adorable, and I love it. <laughs> I, I, I thought it was weird, too, where they were like, we can't bring these other people up until we get this transporter fixed. Because it's like, okay, just bring them up. And if they split in half, we're going to have more time to, like, help them out, right? Like, it, it buys you more time, at least. They, they probably didn't want another evil Sulu with a <laughs> sword. They're like, he caused so much damage and was so hard to get. We, he he poked... got up in the tubes and we didn't see him for weeks. <laughs> he poked so many people in the eye. Yeah, I, I actually wish... See, that would have been an interesting bit of dialogue of, like, well, why don't we just bring them up? And then, you know, keep them in jail or whatever uh, mm -hmm. if they split. No, we can't do that. Like, what if we can't ever put them back together? What if it kills them all? Like, that would have been a very interesting bit of dialogue and debate as opposed to like, what do we do with Kirk? I'm like, shut up. We all know you're just going to put him in there. Clint, I think we interrupted you a while back when you were uh, looking forward to telling us why they didn't send a shuttle down. Well, I mean... I don't, I, they probably haven't just thought of what shuttles are at this point, you know, in Star Trek, but it is weird that they only have one way to get back and forth from a planet. And it seems like the transporters just like fuck up a lot. So it's crazy to think that they don't have like an alternative way to get to and from planets. Yeah, I guess that's, I, um, I was going to ask if we'd seen a shuttle yet in the series. I don't think we have. Mm-mm. But, no. you know, there's even bits in TNG where they're like, the transporter isn't working. And they're like, quick, get on that. And I'm like, why don't you send a shuttle down? Like, sometimes they are like, oh, all our shuttles are out of commission or whatever. Like, sometimes they have a bit of dialogue explaining that, but not consistently. Or like the, you know, atmosphere is ionized and we can't get a shuttle mm -hmm. down there. It'll just crash. Yeah, I, I appreciate it like explanations like that. we did get to see uh, kirk without a shirt on this episode <laughs> three in a row <laughs> yay and it was like it wasn't even necessary to the plot he had just gotten out of the shower when spock came in to check on him <laughs> he's like i heard you were lightheaded and he's like am i making you lightheaded right now mr spock <laughs> i just want to one more time say how amazing a job william chatner did with this like you know right away if it's good Spock, evil Spock, or, or sorry, good Kirk, evil Kirk, or integrated Kirk. Like, his eyes are so expressive. It's it's mm -hmm. really impressive, honestly. Give me the brandy! <laughs> I said give me the brandy! And then he's just on the bed, he's screaming, Aah! Negative Kirk is regular Clint. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, they do feel like two totally distinct people, and it's like tricks of the camera as well to do that. But when uh -huh. Negative Kirk first appears on the transporter pad, like it's it's genuinely quite unsettling because like he has the crazy eyes and the camera's down below him, and he's just yeah. darting around, and he looks like almost kind of reptilian the way he's just creeping around. Yeah, and he he like stands really different. Like he does this like mm -hmm. swagger with his chest when he's negative, and then when he's like good, Kirk, he's sort of like hunched over. It's I it is really impressive. Also, by the way, I said that negative Kirk is regular Clint. I just meant the screaming and crying, not the raping. <laughs> for the record. <laughs> oh, thank you, thank you, thank you for clearing that up. <laughs> Um, yeah, that, uh, that Kirk definitely went to the, uh, cat school of movement. Yeah. He's definitely throwing some jellical moves the in shoulders, there. Yeah. yeah. And I like how he too, you definitely see him like he slithers into Janice's room when he, like the doors opening and closing and he just kind of like, like I said, just slithers in there. It's, he, he does a great job of like playing these two people. Yeah. It, it makes me wonder if Kirk would, or Kirk. Uh, William Shatner was trained to be a stage actor instead of a screen actor because even scenes like there's one scene that just starts with a hand and it's like evil Kirk's hand and then it's like the hand pulls the rest of the character into frame and it's very theatrical and I mean that like it would make mm -hmm. sense in the theater 
Um, but mm-hmm. yeah, he does use his movements and like the frame of the camera really well. I know we already talked about the scene, uh, the, the rape scene, but one thing I wanted to point out with that uh, is that it, it doesn't really get diffused. The situation doesn't because he's he's about to like, you know, he, he has her on the floor and then a crew member shows up like at the door and he... Kirk chases the crew member down, pummels him, knocks him out, and then the scene just ends, right? Like, Mm -hmm. we don't see anyone run away. We don't see anything like that. So that kind of bothered me because I genuinely genuinely thought that, like, he returned back to the room. But apparently she ran away. We just never see that. Yeah. Well, the worst part is, is that she, like, later on, she's like, oh, I wasn't going to mention to anyone. You know, she was, like, trying to say that. You know, like, oh, I wasn't even going to. Oh, like, to to protect the captain. Yeah. Like, I don't want to get in uh trouble. Yeah, and it's like, oh man, it's like time to step up. Captain Kirk is like, no, you should say something if that happens, you know. And so it's kind of like a bad like post mortem. I think that feeling of the, that scene not being resolved is because of Clinton. Like I was gonna say, like I think the reason why it feels really unresolved is like they don't treat Janice well. Like they're not like, yeah, you're right to be upset. That was really awful. Like we're gonna make sure you're okay. Like. They don't really ever do any of that. Like, you just see that scene of Janice being like, I wasn't going to tell anybody. I don't want to get you in trouble. And then, like, the closing line, Spock has this, like, awful bit to her. Like, she's like, here, sign this. And Spock's like, oh, the imposter had some interesting qualities. Wouldn't you say, Yeoman? Oh, that was so messed up. It was super creepy. And, like, it was super creepy because that scene was really upsetting. Like... So I don't know if they were trying to be like, wow, we can't end it on a bummer. But like, I think it was not knowing how to handle a survivor. And and to Star Trek's credit, like the fact that they showed that scene as being like really traumatic and upsetting is important. Like mm-hmm. PTSD was not considered a, a like real thing until the 1980s. Like in some states, marital rape was legal until the 90s. Um And so, like, the 60s and 70s, you know, one of the things the women's movement was doing was, like, yo, this is not okay. Like, it's considered a super fine way for sexual relations to be. And, like, it's not. It's traumatic. It's upsetting to women. And, like, that was a real fight that they had to make. So the fact that they're doing that is really progressive. But then it's, like, they kind of – and we've talked about this before, I think, in this podcast – like. They start off with this really like very strong push towards something progressive and challenging and then they kind of backstep a little bit. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's just the nature of like getting the show on TV at all. Yeah. I mean, I guess it too, like it might have been better if he wasn't like as super rapey. And that's maybe why this was a little bit more clumsy where it would may have been better if he just like kind of came in and like really hit on Yeoman and wasn't like rapey about it. Yeah, like, because we found out in the last episode that he thinks she's attractive. And if he was like, hey, I think you're really cute. She's like, great, but you're my boss. And he's like, yeah, but come on, I'm a red-blooded male. Woo. And she's like, all right, chill out. Like, yeah, Mm -hmm. you're right. Maybe that would have been better because then that would have made sense of, like, the split that you need him to take these chances. That would have fit better with the rest of the plot. And where, like, you know, your darker side has some allure to it you know to to the opposite you know that kind of like bad boy dangerous thing rather just like come in and you know just start groping and stuff like that but but rape bad is what we're trying to say on this episode (laughs) listen we are against it we're not afraid to say it (laughs) yeah (laughs) really taking a stand on an perhaps more pleasant note one of the things that i wrote was that bones has a great what the fuck face like there are several shots where he's not (laughs) saying anything but he's in the scene and like the look on his face is just like what is this hot nonsense (laughs) great i don't have time for this i have to go around and say people are dead right (laughs) oh this does actually they have a really great star trek moment at the beginning when um it's really subtle but the original guy who falls and gets hurt and gets transported up with the ore all over him there's a scene where he's like getting his hand fixed by bones and bones like it's like a spray bottle sprays something on his hand wipes it off sprays it again wipes it off and then he's like you the guy holds his hand out to the camera and you can see there's no cut on it and he's like all right back to duty (laughs) And I was like, oh, that's such a great 
tiny scene to be like, this is in the future. Look, they instantly healed his cut. Mm-hmm. It's like that Chris Rock. I think it's a Chris Rock sketch where his dad's like, oh, no, it's uh, my my big fat Greek wedding where it's like you just pour Windex on anything and it will fix any <laughs> ailment that you have. Windex on it. <laughs> <laughs> that must have been what it was. Bones was using Windex. Yeah. Was anyone else wondering why Bones had a gigantic bottle of rum, like, right in the middle of his clinic? Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> it's in case they have to amputate Kirk, anyone. Evil Kirk comes in, he's like, I want rum. And Bones just, like, reaches into the nearest closet and just pulls out a huge uh, bong of rum. Wait, we learned about this in the very first episode when the doctor showed up to uh, Pike's room and was like, I'm prescribing a martini. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah, sometimes, you know, you'll tell your bartender things you won't tell your doctor. <laughs> what I wanted to ask you guys about, too, is the that kind of scene and that concept where they won't let the ship know that Kirk has been compromised. Hmm. And Kirk is just like, I'm just going to call everyone and explain to them that I've been duplicated. There's an evil one and not to trust me. And Spock is like, you can't do that. That means that makes you human. And in the eyes of the crew, you can't be human. You have to be almost godlike. You have to be He's invincible. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Invincible, perfect, infallible, or they can't, they'll, they won't trust you in these life or death situations. And then Kirk turns around and he goes, You're right. I should have known that, but like, I don't know why I forgot that. And so I think that's a crazy, I mean, that's a very 60s macho philosophy. I don't know what you, what you guys think of that. I mean, I think you're right. I think it is some of this like machismo, uh, toxic masculinity of the 60s. But mm-hmm. I, I also think it, it speaks to this thing that I've noticed, maybe not as much on DS9, but certainly in TNG, that Star Trek kind of has this uneasy relationship with it being like a proto-military show. Like, Starfleet mm-hmm. is sort of a military structure, and it bumps into that in weird, uncomfortable ways, and I think that's one of them. Like, in the military, you know, and, and I've, I've worked with tons of veterans, like, my school here has a whole office for veterans because there's so many that enroll as students, and I'm I'm by the Air Force Academy and a couple big bases, and I've, I've weirdly worked at universities like that around the country, but... In the military, you are trained very explicitly not to question things. Like, if someone gives you an order, that's an order. That's the end. And if you think about it, well, if you're in a combat situation and someone goes, you need to go over that hill, you need to get this thing, you can't be hesitating. Like, mm-hmm. and, and orders are orders, and that's the way it works. And you have to have a clear chain of command, and the chain of command has to be solid. And, you know, the shit, you don't kick the shit back up because they have more information than you do. And that's, that's like how shit has to get accomplished. And so in some ways, this idea of, like, you need to be only an authority and you can't give the people under you any reason to doubt that, like, I think that that does feel very military. And in a more pop culture accessible way, Band of Brothers talks about, they have a lot of scenes like that when Winters gets promoted. Like, he wants to, like, be on the front fighting and he wants to, like, do all these things, mingling with the men and, like, that tension between officers and enlisted men is very it's like a plot point in several places where they're just like you can't do that like being their friend compromises your ability to be an unassailable authority which you have to do in order to give them battlefield orders Mm -hmm. so i i kind of see it as being that but that's interesting i hadn't really thought of it as being like a weird holdover or something that because also thinking about like cisco or picard they're very chummy with their subordinates Mm -hmm. yeah and i don't think they they don't try and project an air of perfection i mean they still try and be commanding Mm -hmm. but they don't pretend like they're perfect yeah and i mean it might also be like changes in leadership and what we expect of leaders right now we do to some degree expect leaders to say things like you know this was difficult but it's also it's also interesting like i was thinking about that like uh this october 8th trump is COVID positive. But when he went to the hospital, I was saying like any president, any health issue, I can 100% see that they would not say anything about that to the American people until it was resolved. Like 
any president in my living memory I could see being like Monday morning, hey, over the weekend I had to have my appendix out. I'm fine. They wouldn't say anything ahead mm-hmm. of time. So, and mm-hmm. I mean, Trump is going to lie about whatever's going on. But I, I kind of see that protocol of like keeping some things closer to the chest as far as leadership goes. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's just, a, I just thought that was an interesting moment. So, and then he did it anyway. He's, he went on the <laughs> loudspeaker and then he's like, Hey guys, there's an evil one of me running around. But they made it seem like it was someone else being a preposter. Uh, oh yeah. He calls it an imposter. Imposter. Yeah. I don't know why. Yeah, I couldn't so say they that, don't, but... they don't say the captain has split into two. They just say there's an imposter. But yeah, that is kind mm-hmm. of like directly contradicting that. Well, Corey, is there anything else you want to bring up? I mean, I'm a teacher, so I have to lead like 30 kids. And if I had like diarrhea, I wouldn't be like, attention, everybody. <laughs> I have diarrhea. So that's why I'm acting weird right now. I think I'd keep that uh, keep that under the vest. <laughs> yeah, there's some things you keep to yourself, Corey, uh, like that story. Uh, from one teacher to another, the greatest excuse is a migraine. Nobody ever asks follow-ups about migraines, and they can come on suddenly, and it's not gross. Nobody ever feels uncomfortable. If you ever need an excuse for getting out of work, it's a migraine. Or pink eye. Oh. Because you, ha- you don't have to sound sick. That's true. But then people are like, could you have given that to me? Also disgusting. Yeah. Also, you get pink eye from poop, right? Yeah. <laughs> I think that is an excellent closing line. Oh, no. My diarrhea gave me pink eye. <laughs> <laughs> also, nowadays, your conjunctivitis can be a sign of COVID. So that would absolutely be a terrible excuse now. Looks like you need a, you need to think of something, Corey. A new excuse. Yeah, I think you're right. But ultimately, I was just saying, I could see why Kirk was saying that. He's just like, hey, everyone, I have pink eye. Uh, so if you see me, don't, don't do anything engage. that I say. Ooh, like that yeah. little whistle. Crew, I have diarrhea. <laughs> <laughs> Stay away if you see me always. It's super smelly. <laughs> well, I think we've said just about everything we can about this episode. <laughs> and then some. <laughs> so yeah, to wrap up, William Shatner is a good actor. Rape is bad. Don't do it. No. And um, dressing a dog up in a costume is always delightful. Yeah. Yes means yes. Animals are great. William Shatner should be in more things. Lie about a migraine if you have one. If you need yeah. to get out of something. Yeah. Excellent excuse for getting out of work. All right. Well, until we see you next, keep on trekking.